Hey everybody, just done here today. Um, Beards is under the weather. And uh, if any of you want to drop him a note, uh, I think he'd always appreciate it. You know, to get a hold of Dick, go to dick at dickbeardsley.com. And uh, just, uh, he's having some knee trouble. You know, Dick's, Dick's knees, I tell you, they should be in a museum someday because uh, the one knee that he's had two revisions on, it was the one he actually got caught in the power takeoff in that, that tractor accident that we'll talk about someday. Um, sounds like he's got a bit of an infection in it. And so he's been to the doc, had a little minor uh, surgery, I guess you could say, the other day, and he's feeling pretty under the weather, pretty punky. So uh, we're going to give Beards a day off from the podcast and um, just kind of review. You know, uh, it's just amazing to me to look back at Dick and myself. You know, when you start running in high school, you never dream. You, you have goals and dreams of what you'd like to hope accomplish someday. And, you know, I'm looking back in, um, in our last podcast, uh, Dick described his 209 37 marathon at Grandma's, which was his 13th consecutive personal best. And, you know, I was just looking at some notes here. You know, he started with a 247 marathon back in 1976. And then in 1981, he's running a 209. So five years later, you know, and so he ran that 247 in 1976. He ran uh, two 233s in 1977. He ran a 231 in 1978 at junior college. He finished fourth at the junior college nationals marathon. He got all American in junior college running a 231 marathon, I think on a hot, tough course. Um, he then came to SDSU in 78 and didn't run his next marathon until uh, 79 when uh, he went up to Winnipeg and ran that 221.54 to qualify for the Olympic trials by two seconds. He then went out to Eugene in uh, later in 79 and ran a 220 to kind of back up his 221. Went to the Olympic trials in 1980, just kind of finish up his running career and start a family and his life and uh, runs 216 finishes 16th in the nation at the at the olympic trials and like he said he crossed the finish line and found uh his first wife mary and said i am not done yet he knew there was still so much more in the tank and went on to run 215 later that same year in 1980 then uh the fall of 80 went out to new york and ran his 213 to finish ninth 212 in early 81 at, at uh houston where I was at with him and, and ran my personal best then of 219. Uh, Dick went on to run 212 then in Beppu three weeks after Houston, 211 at London then, that spring of 81, and then 209 at Grandma's. And so, you know, just amazing when you think about um, his progression and, and where he ended up getting to. And so we'll kind of leave it at there. I thought, you know, instead of me rambling and all by myself, which is really, really boring, um, I'd like to invite you all to go back and watch episode one. You know, for some of you, maybe it's been a while or for some of you new listeners, maybe you haven't gone all that far way back, but I think it was kind of fun. Uh, I kind of went back and looked through to some of the old uh, episodes and number one, you know, how did Dick and I get into running and kind of why? And maybe you didn't enjoy hearing that again. And, and if you're like me, I forget half the stuff I say anyway. And so, uh, I hope you all have a great day and, uh, look forward to chatting with you hopefully in a week. Uh, you know, Dick has phenomenal recovery abilities. And so I know he'd appreciate hearing a, a kind word or, a, a, you know, a, a, an attaboy or whatever. And so if you get a chance, uh, Dick at DickBeersley.com is a uh, good way to email him. And I'm sure you'd appreciate a little, uh, a little, you know, thinking of you, Dick, sort of uh, message. 
Have a great day, everybody, and hopefully we'll talk to you uh, with beards here in a short time. Have a great day. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of On the Run with Beards and Done. I can't, I can't tell you how excited Dick and I are to, uh, to actually finally get to do this. And, you know, we've spent hours today memorizing our podcast, all of our lines, everything we're going to say. And if you believe that, you don't know Dick or I very well <laughs> at all. And so, yeah, we met for about a minute before we started recording and said, what do you want to talk about? And he said, I don't care. Actually, we did put a little more thought of it, into it than that. You know, Dick and I have had a, just this, a really great relationship for so many years. And, and, uh, and I thought, you know, as a way of kind of building our foundation and getting to all of that, and hopefully you guys will, will be, you know, kind of uh, inspired and, uh, by our story. But, you know, the, what, what, came, what led up to before Dick and I ever got to meet? And, um, you know, I know the common theme that brought Dick and I together is running. And uh, we just loved it. You know, I had a passion for it. And I know Dick's passion is still going strong to this day. And um, so I've had some questions I've always wanted to ask Dick about his early days. And so I thought we'd start there, kind of laying the foundation is how did Dick and then myself, how did we even get into running? So Beards, question number one, I'd like to ask you, why did you ever start running? Well, Don, that's a great question. And I get that question a lot. You know, as a kid growing up here in Minnesota, you know, my whole world revolved around the outdoors, hunting, fishing, trapping, milking cows. And, you know, I just wasn't really into athletics. I played a little, I guess, little league baseball, if you called that. I wasn't real good at it, but um, I just was so into the outdoors. And and uh, and then when I, when I started my junior year of high school, so I was 17 years old. It was 1973, and uh, I, I walked through my high school doors that morning, and it was like suddenly my hormones had changed, and girls, for the first time in my life, started looking better than, you know, like a dead raccoon laying alongside the road. <laughs> and and uh, But honestly, done. I, I was the most shy, bashful kid growing up, and the thought of saying hi to a girl, let alone actually speaking to one, or heaven forbid, actually asking one out on a date, you know, it just almost made me sick to my stomach. But I noticed that a lot of the guys in our high school that were good in sports and they'd wear their high school letter jackets around and they always had girls hanging all over them. So I thought, well, that's it. All I got to do is earn myself a letter jacket and the chicks will come to me. So like, you know, many Minnesota, South Dakota kids, you know, their first thought is you want to be a high school football player. So I thought, I'm going out for the football team. Well, you know, and... I was six foot tall, weighed about 135 pounds. And <laughs> and uh, I remember when, I, when school got out that afternoon, I literally raced into the boys' locker room. And my uh, gym teacher was my the head football coach, Coach Schaefer. And I remember I was so excited, done. I go, Coach Schaefer, I'm coming out for football. <laughs> and he never said anything. He just started laughing at me. <laughs> and so he tried to talk me out of it, but I wouldn't listen. And so I went out, I, I figured out how, how all the equipment went on my body, and I followed about 20 other guys out onto the field. And we're at the 50-yard line out in the middle of the field with Coach Schaefer. We got a big circle around him, and he's holding a football, explaining what we're going to do for practice, when all of a sudden he takes that football and he throws it as far as he can towards the end zone, and he hollers, Beardsley, fumble, get the ball. So I'm thinking okay, I got to show coach I know how to play this game. So I take off sprinting. I jump on that football in about 
15 other guys hogpiled on top of me. And when I got out of that mass of humanity and got out of that pile of guys, I remember my helmet was on crooked. My shoulder pads were sticking out. My football pants were down to the down to the ground. And I'm thinking, there's not a girl alive worth going through this. And so done. You know, you, you've heard this story before, but I quit. I walked off the field. My entire football career lasted less than an hour. And uh, a couple of days later, a buddy of mine said, well, Beard, you ought to come out for the cross-country team. I didn't know that w- what a cross-country team was. And I remember I had two questions for him. And the first being, so tell me, what is this cross-country? He said, oh, it's fun. We run through the fields, up and down the hills, through the woods, jumping over logs and creeks. And I thought, well, gosh, I'll be out in the woods. That's kind of right up my alley. But my second, more important question to him was, do they tackle you in cross-country <laughs> running? So I went out for my my very first day and um, been doing it ever since. Yeah, How about more. you, Don? You know, well, Beards, my story's kind of similar. I, I was a farm kid and, and went to a country school, a one-room country school. And then we got bused to Lennox High School in South Dakota. And it, I went from a class of one. I was a valedictorian of my seventh grade year. <laughs> top of my class of course I was the only one in seventh grade only one. <laughs> yeah so the whole school had 13 kids in it and I went to a class of like 130 kids and so you know I I, I didn't know anything about sports and and you know you're kind of thrown into the mix with all these kids you just want to fit in and, and not get picked on and stuff and and I had one guy that was a really good friend of mine his name's Chuck Jepson and if Chuck if you ever hear this I'll, I'll always remember this you know Chuck was just a neighbor uh, lived about two three miles up the road from us and he knew who I was and and he, he just kind of took me under his wing. He said, yeah, Mike, we're, we're going to play football. You know, ninth graders, we're going to go out for football. And I thought, gosh, he's asked me to go out for, to play football, to be on the team. I was so excited that somebody even, you know, wanted me to participate. And so I went out for football. And I remember the first day I talked, I told myself, don't be afraid. You know, don't be afraid. That's how you're going to get hurt if you're hesitant and stuff. So I, I wasn't afraid. And I was a farm kid and I'd stick my nose in there and try as hard as I could. And, and I, I did all right. You know, I was, a, uh, I played ninth grade football and, and I got to play on the defensive backfield because I wasn't very big, but I wasn't afraid to, you know, tackle guys and stuff like that. And, and it was a great time in the training. I enjoyed that. But the one thing I really didn't appreciate about football, and I won't name any names, but our coach, I don't think you'd ever satisfy the guy. Football coaches yell an awful lot. And, <laughs> right. and I just didn't care. You know, no matter what you did, it seemed like they find something they could yell at you about. And um, I liked the teammates. I liked the working out, but I really didn't appreciate, you know, just it seems like I was always getting, you know, people are always getting yelled at. And, and the other thing I noticed was that when we'd run laps, because it seemed like we ran a lot of laps for you know, punishment or for training, I'd be one of the first guys that could do like two or three laps around the football field. There were two or three older guys, upperclassmen, that would maybe get there, finish before I would. But I'd be one of the you know, top 10% of the guys running the, I guess you'd call it distance, like a half mile or right. whatever it is in training. And so at the end of the cross uh, football season, uh, my friend, again, Chuck said, hey, now we're going to do winter track. And in the spring, we're going to go out for track. I didn't know what track was other than I knew it was running and jumping and stuff. And, and he said, you know, that'll get us ready for football next fall. And I said, great, great. And so I went out for track and uh, I didn't know anything about it. And so uh, they figure out pretty fast who's fast and who's slow. They line you up at the, on the track and they do some hundred yard sprints. And I was not in the top 50% of the, of the shorter things, but again, my, I could do distance a little better, you know, run a mile or so. I'd be one of the first ones back. And so I remember that my first race was, was a mile and uh, I did the mile and I didn't get 
I didn't come close to getting first. I remember my time was five minutes and 26 seconds. And my, God, that's good. Well, Your first mile ever. I didn't know, but I know I wasn't last. There were quite a few guys ahead of me, but I knew there was a couple guys behind me. And so I felt good that I wasn't the last guy in, even though there's nothing wrong with that. But what I really remember is my coach and his name is Gene Borman and, and coach Borman's is still doing well. And, and, um, he came up to me and he put his, I was bent over trying to not pass out because I was trying to breathe. I could have, <laughs> I would have breathed through my ears. I was so winded. And he, he put his hand on the small of my back and he bent over and he had the stopwatch in his hand. I couldn't even read it. I, my eyes were blurry. And he goes, wow, 526 for a freshman. He said, that's, that's not bad. He goes, you've got potential. And he, and he was so calm and, and, and positive. I just, I, you know, you might as well have told me I just won the lottery, you know, because it really did right. leave an impression on me that it was such a positive experience. I, I, I didn't mind the, the, the work ethic part of running, you know, and, and it was a lot of work, but I, I really appreciated that he appreciated my effort. And I was, man, the next week he said, who wants to run a mile? And my hand shot up in the air and, and I was a <laughs> miler from that point on. And, and I remember I got down to 5'11", my freshman year. And, and so um, I really enjoyed track. It was a lot of work. And I decided, I told Coach Borman, I said, at the end of track, I said, Coach Borman, I think I'll go out for cross country. Because I did know about cross country, and they ran like 2.2 miles, and, and I kind of enjoyed running. He goes, Mike, you know, you're a pretty good football player. He goes, I always wanted to play football, but he said, I couldn't. I wasn't big enough. And he goes, you know, it's totally up to you, but he goes, uh, you can do whatever you like. And so, you know, he wasn't really saying, oh, I'd love to have you. Come on. We, we're so excited. <laughs> he was kind of saying, you know, it's really your decision. I think you can play football and be, and be successful at that, or you can try cross country. And uh, I'm just glad I took the road of cross country because I'm not sure I would have had much of a football career if I would have stayed in that sport. And so um, that's really, you know, I think when I think about it, what got me into running was really that friend of mine, Chuck who invited me out to go out for football that got, you know, kind of broke the ice and maybe part of a team. And, you know, I think as young people, that's what we're always looking for is, is, you know, that level of acceptance to fit in, you know, not to be the loner, that weird guy that doesn't do anything. I got to be the, the weird guy that ran all the time, but that was okay. People seem to kind of appreciate that, that I was out there doing something, trying to be constructive, but that's how I got started was football, kind of a failed football career. And then, uh, just kind of the, the positive encouragement that runners give each other. You know, a lot of my teammates on the track team after that first mile came up and said, nice job. You know, you, you didn't get last, you know, and things like that. And I thought, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. And so, Dick, do you remember your first race, official race? You know, I, I, I really don't because I was on the, you know, luckily we had a JV team, you know, when I first got out there because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to run any meets. So I, I, I don't really remember any of those those first few meets. I remember more when I when I became a senior and and my second year across country when I kind of got a little bit better. Oh, hang on I a was, second. You never ran varsity as a junior? You know, I, I for some reason I must have a, not a lot of real good memories from back then because <laughs> I, I, I can't remember memories. exactly. <laughs> I th I think I made I think I might have made the varsity for a meet or two at the end of the season. So did you letter as a junior? Did you get a letter? I don't think I did. All right. And so, but but Mikey, here's what I do remember. I remember when, when the season got over with, and I didn't run another step until, um, and I didn't go out for track the next next spring or anything, because, you know, that's, that's open and fishing season here in Minnesota. <laughs> and... Uh, 
But I had already set a goal for myself once our season ended in the fall of 1973, and that was this. It was when school got out for summer vacation at the end of May, my goal was to run every single day. And I did. I ran every single day that summer. I didn't run real long, real far, you know, very fast or anything like that. But I came back for my senior year of high school, my second year of cross country. And um, I guess we didn't talk about this earlier, but my first run of my cross country career was the first day I went out for practice. And it was a, I thought, around the block run, which turned into 3.2 miles. And (laughs) You know, I mean, I had to walk the last mile. By the time I got back to the school, all my co- my coach and my teammates had already showered and gone home. <laughs> oh my lord! But I know, and but you know what? A lot of people might be disheartened by that, but I wasn't. I I thought I I go. I don't know how just far I ran and walked, but I made it. I mean, it's the furthest I'd ever gone in my life. And and um, but again, I I wasn't very good at it. But then, so I ran every day that following summer. And I came back for my uh, second year of cross country, and it was exactly the one year to the day that we did that, what I called the round-the-block run, which was 3.2 miles long. But this time, all my teammates finished behind me instead of finishing in front of me. So, so in a one year, you went from the worst to first on your team. Yeah, ah, cool. yes. And, and it just showed me that. And I tell you, it was a... It was something that really has echoed with me throughout my life since then. And, you know, it's all about, you know, doing hard work and believing in yourself. And, you know, it would have been easy to give up. But, again, like you said, you had encouragement from teammates and, and I and coaches, and so did I. And, and um, you know, nobody ever made fun of me for, you know, not being very good. Part of it was, I think, because – we didn't have very many guys out on the team, so we needed everybody we could. <laughs> they didn't discourage you. They needed you. But, you know, yeah. I think what you said, Dick, is so important. You know, when you did that first run and, you, and everybody was gone, nobody was there but you. But I, what I heard coming across is that sense of fulfillment, that sense of, you know, like yes. accomplishment. And, you know, nobody can – if you could bottle that, you know, that you can't put a price on it. When you do something that you didn't think you could do, and, you know, even though other people might not think it was that big a thing. You know, the Boston Marathon just was last week, and – you know, you just watch thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I've seen so many photos of people crossing the finish line. Right. And I tell you, the, the look on their faces, it's worth a million bucks. You know, and I, and I know you've it said is. that many times. You know, when you finish a marathon, you know, it can change your life and, and it, it, in so many positive ways. And then just changing a, a training, finishing a training run, you know, what that did that day, you know, kind of set you off on your course. Oh, it, it did. It, it gave me, you know, more confidence in myself and I started to you know, kind of believe in myself a little bit. It, it got my courage up a little bit to, um, you know, be, be a little more, uh, did you ask a girl with, out now? Did you, exactly. get a date? did you get a date? You know what? You know, my first date was, it was, she was a cheerleader on our cross country team. Wow. And, um, yeah, I took her to the homecoming dance and she said, yes, I won't mention her name. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass her or anything. And um, I think we only went out one time, but hey, it was a start, you know, and uh, you got to start somewhere, right, Mikey? There you go. Uh, Running gives you confidence in many, many aspects. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, listen, you don't have to be an Olympic champion to get confidence and and be motivated and challenged, you know, by running. I mean, you know, whether you're a a two and a, you know, a, a 208 marathoner or a 408 marathoner or slower than that, it's the fact of you, you know, a person making that commitment and dedicating the time and the effort to put into it. And then, and then 
crossing that finish line, whatever finish line it is, whether it be in a race in life, whatever it is, it's a, it's very satisfying. You know, it kind of leads into my next thought. When did you really know this was for you? I mean, was it that first run when you finished that imaginary finish line and everybody else was gone? I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know if there's ever a real distinct moment where something clicks. You know, it's probably, yeah, but, do you remember anything like for that? me, I think it was. Mm. I remember when I, when I finished that 3.2 mile run and I got done and, you know, I didn't know how far it was at the time. At the time, I thought it was about a, 20 miler or something, you know, <laughs> felt like it, but yeah. they told me the next day it was 3.2 miles. And it was like, wow, it was such, it seemed for me, anyhow, it was such an accomplishment at the time. And, you know, now, you know, if I'm not going to run at least three, four five miles, why even put your shoes <laughs> on? You know, I tell myself now. And so that was a, for me, that was a huge thing. You know, I think it's kind of interesting because for, you know, I've heard other people say similar things. And I guess for me, it was that first race you know, when you finish and you get that sense of accomplishment or somebody says, nice job, you know, right. I know there's these, you know, the endorphins that we get, oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine. There's all these happy drugs that our body, I don't know if they're drugs, but they're hormones that you could kind of, they're like a drug. And those things fire and you get that sense of pleasure or, you know, what it is in your brain, but something connects and, and I'm just always surprised, you know, I still have that to this day and I don't run, I cycle and I'm out biking and I'm out biking with Karen, my wife, and, and we're out there in the mornings, it's beautiful. And you go, where is everybody? You know, why these roads should be packed with people out and there are runners out there and there's other cyclists out there, right? but there's such a minority still, you know, and I just always feel so bad for those people that are, they're either missing it or they just haven't had the opportunity or, you know, and again, I'm not sure if everybody's wired the same way where you know, that first attempt they make, it's not going to be. I don't think no, we are. I don't know. I think we're, well, we know we're not wired this. <laughs> no, really no, no. So I, let's back up, just kind of wrapping up this high school segment, if you would. You know, um, you mentioned your coach and your teammates, you know, and you kind of said it was a kind of a, you know, your team culture. You know, was it encouraging? It was a, because in my experience, I haven't run into too many runners or aren't good guys and coaches. Right. I mean, if you're coaching that sport, you better be nice to your runners because they're working their tails off for you. Well, and, and done. In, in, when I was in high school, so cross country was a very minor sport, you know, oh, like it is at a lot of schools, unfortunately. Yeah. But I tell you, a lot of the the guys on our team, they were, they were wrestlers. Mm. So they came out, you know, for cross country to get in shape for the wrestling season that started, you know, for the winter sports and stuff. And I tell you what, those guys weren't real talented runners, but my goodness, those guys were the toughest runners I've ever seen and met. They would run through a brick wall. They would be puking their guts. It didn't matter. <laughs> those wrestlers are tough. I'm telling you. You know, and of course, we're going to talk about some wrestlers we met in college years later, the Brant boys. Right. But, uh, and so, uh, and I think wrestling is a close, you know, when people say what's the toughest sport, you know, and you know, as a runner, you say, well, it's, I think our sport is so pure. You know, all you need is a, uh, you don't even need a decent pair of shoes. You know, a lot of guys, I remember the Flander Indian guys would run barefoot, you know, and you hear about. Well, yeah, yeah done. and the nice thing about running is, you know, I mean, wrestling's a great sport, but you got to have a partner to wrestle with. You're not going to wrestle against yourself. Let you throw yourself up against the wall well, or something. You know, I think running, you know, it's pure, but you know, what's the, wrestling? I mean, you get down, it's you against one other dude. Or, right. And, 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 you know, it's, it's your skill, it's your strength, it's your speed. And, it, and stamina oh, you're too. Talking, you know, pure, it's a pure sport. You know, there's no team, 
you know, the tactics are pretty much you, uh, you, you do what you got to do and right. running is pretty much the same way. But, you know, in high school, so your senior year, you came back, you're number one. Is there some memory of high school? I guess let's just say, what was your, your, your do you have a, a highlight, a high school memory? Was it, uh, you know, I, I do. Know, okay. What was it? Well, so done. And it's, it's not a real good memory. I mean, it's not one that of winning a championship or anything like that. Cause I never made it to the state meet in Minnesota and cross country or track, but I'll, I'll never forget my, my goal when I was a senior was t- to try to win every race, you know, and that I, I won a couple times, you know, but I, I so wanted to break 16 minutes. Now, back then, you know, we ran three miles, mm. not five kilometers. And I'll never forget this. We're, it's getting towards the end of the season and we're on a real flat course and I'm winning the race. And my, uh, my godfather, rest his soul, Joe Ross, who was a big inspiration in my running and keeping me going and stuff like that, with about a quarter mile to go, he goes, Dick, you're going to break 16 minutes. You're gonna, and I'm, <laughs> I'm tying up and stuff. And I come across the finish line and I hear my time, 16.01. Oh, Lord. And, and done. You know, you've known me for, it's getting close to 50 years now. Right. I don't drop many F-bombs. <laughs> no. But, but like, he goes, 16.01, and this big F-bomb comes out of my oh, mouth. I have a hard time believing this. I don't, done. I swore to the good Lord. And there's all these parents and teachers and spectators there. <laughs> Dick, I said your his, proudest moment. Not your most, <laughs> your most embarrassing moment. But but done. That's the only one I can really remember that stands out. Well, and hmm. as soon as it came out of my mouth, I immediately stopped and started apologizing to everybody that that was in the area. I felt absolutely terrible. So I don't have a whole lot of proud moments in high school because I, I wasn't very good. I loved doing it. But that's the one that that race that day stands out more than any other race I ever did in high school. So, you know, as far as like a, a dream, a fantasy, a goal was always, you know, winning, oh, I know winning a race, breaking 16 minutes. Anything else come to my mind? goal? What? Yeah, my goal done was to make the state meet. OK. And, you know, that, that that never happened. And it wasn't without trying. I mean, I gave it my very, very best, but our team never qualified. So I'd, I would have had to qualify as an individual and and I wasn't able to do that. But um, done. Let me ask you oh, yeah. your proudest moment. I, I it's got I, I'm not going to say what it is, yeah. but I'm almost certain I know and, what and it I is. And I think you and I have talked about this before. You know, I ran as a sophomore. I, I went to a running camp at South Dakota State as a, between my freshman and sophomore year. So I finished track. I really you know ran the mile. I ran 511. And, and I, I saw in the paper they were having a distance running camp in 1972. Jay Dirksen, the coach of South Dakota State University, was hosting a high school running camp. And I remember it was a week long and it cost $90. And that was room and board and coaching. Now, $90 felt like $900 to me. And I I really, I saw that and something clicked. And I thought, man, if I want to be a runner and I want to do well, I need to learn, you know. My coach, Gene Borman, was wonderful. and, And he was very inspiring and very motivational. But I thought, I got, you know, I want to learn how to be the best runner I can be. And, uh, and I asked my folks and I, you know, I've never really asked for, you know, being a farm kid, I knew, you know, we didn't have a lot of money laying around or anything, or at least I didn't think we did. And I asked my folks if I could go and they said, yes. And, you know, I went up there and I went from running one or two miles a day and nobody on this podcast (laughs) is going to believe it. We started running 15 to 20 miles a day 
For I five can't days, believe that. For five days in a row. Jay Dirksen, <laughs> Rich Greeno, Russ Strandy. I can go Lyle Clausen or all the coaches. And, you know, back in those days, uh, Arthur Lydiard in, in uh, New Zealand had been coaching these fantastic New Zealand runners. And um, Jay was kind of modeled his training. It was, it was long, slow distance. It was building that huge base of endurance. So we weren't running these miles fast. You couldn't. We'd have been dead if we would have. But we'd get up in the morning and we'd go run five miles and we'd have breakfast. Then you'd go lay in your room because then right before lunch, you'd have us go do another five miles. And we'd get done and then have a class on running. And then we'd lay in our rooms. And then we'd get up about <laughs> three or four and go do another five miles. And then we'd go have supper. And then before we'd go to bed that night, they had us run another five miles. Oh, my well, gosh. I think their theory was there were, there were like 13 guys and we had one girl. We had a girl come to this camp, Jane Whiff. And uh, she, and, you know, she stayed in a whole dormitory by herself. And those other guys <laughs> all got to stay in a dorm together. That poor girl had to be just lonely as all get outs. But, you know, it was so much fun despite the fatigue. I think Jay's idea was to keep these high school kids in line we'll just keep them so tired they won't be able to do any mischief or get in trouble good idea but you know we survived it we got to the end of it and um i remember jay we had a race you know after doing about 80 to 100 miles those first five days he finishes the camp on saturday with a three mile race and i couldn't remember my time I, i barely remember the event but i do remember jane whiff the high school girl from freeman south dakota she was one year younger than me i was like 15 she she, she beat me i mean i i was just so tired so was she and so was everybody else <laughs> but you know what at the end of that everybody patted you on the back everybody was giving you high fives everybody was saying nice job you know good job and it was such a positive environment and i came back and then ran cross country as a sophomore and junior and a senior and, you know, my high school dream was always, you know, to win the, a state championship. Uh, you know, th- those athletes who win state championships are just, you know, you're, you're the top. And, you know, it's rare. Oh, it is. It's hard. And in cross country, you know, we did have divisions. We had three divisions. So there would be three guys that had to beat everybody else. You know, one guy has to beat everybody in their class. Exactly. Of, of schools. And so as a sophomore, I remember I got 54th. And I mean, I just ran as hard as I could and. And, uh, you know, I finished 54th and I was the second guy on our team. And, and I thought, wow, you know, hopefully a whole bunch of these guys ahead of me are going to graduate next year, you know? And so maybe I can move up a little bit. And my junior year, I went back, did the camp again. You know, I just love going to that running camp because it was such a positive environment. It was a good one. Oh, it was so good. So I ran that, had a great, had a good season, won a few cross country races. And I went to the state meet and, uh, I thought I'd be in the top 10. I, you know, you kind of know what kind of shape you're in, you know, what the competition's like. I had a, I had a bad race. I don't know. I don't remember, you know, much of it. I finished 20th and there's nothing to be ashamed about that. Uh, I just remember the top 15 got medals. I didn't even finish in the top 15, you know, and I was really disappointed, you know, and I won't say devastated because that's, it's just a race, you know, it's not the end of the world, Right. but you know, when you have goals and you fall short, it is kind of a, it's a blow. Well, you have two choices either, you know, just bow your head and give up and say, well, I guess this isn't really going to be happening or you, you double your efforts, you know, and say, I, I just, I got to do something to change this and went back to the running camp before my senior year. And I'll never forget, I was out running with Russ Strandy at this running camp and we were talking about the upcoming cross country season. And, and there was a, a couple of good runners that had, were juniors like I was, uh, a Dwight Guimar out of Scotland was one of them. There was a, a kid out of Redfield, uh, John Lindbergh was a good runner and said, yeah, man, those guys are going to be back. They're going to be tough. And I remember I, I said to him, and I don't think I was fishing for a compliment or, an, you know, I, I said, geez, Russ, what do you think? Who do you think is going to be the top, you know, class A runner? And he goes, he he looked me right in the eye. He goes, Mike, I think you are. 
So that's wow. And, he, and I tell you, I get chills. It chokes me up to this day because that up, gave me chills up until this moment. That moment, I really never, you know, made it part of like reality. It was a dream. It wasn't something I'd really, you know, I, I wanted it, but I hadn't really thought about, you know, this could happen. And, and it, it was, it was really, I'll always remember Russ for that. You know, it, that's a pivotal moment in my life. And he said, Mike, I think you can win it. And so I went into that cross country season. I won all my races except one, uh, Larry Beasley, who's a class double A, he was a defending class double A state champion. I ran up against him at the South Dakota state university invitational. And we were together till about a half mile to go. And he, Boy, you know, Larry went into a, his kick, I guess you'd call it. And I, I actually, I, I disappointed myself. I'm not sure. I think mentally, I kind of thought, wow, there he goes. There's, you know, I, there, he's making his move now. He's better than me. And I, I always wondered, you know, did I really give 100%? And whenever you don't give 100%, you, you, you know, there's a lot of self-doubt. And oh, I, always, yeah. I felt bad that I, I, I kind of gave up a little bit mentally, I think. And and, and I thought, I'm never going to do that again. And so we got to the state meet. And long story short, yeah, I ended up winning it. And, uh, you know, it's one of the proudest. Done. How exciting, though. Oh, I mean, nobody's ever going to, you know what? Times come and go. But winning a race championships, that's something you'll, that will be with you. <laughs> to, you take it to your grave it is. with you. you. Know, I, it's, it's one of, you know, when you say what are some proud moments. Well, you know, you, you get married. That's a pretty proud day in your life. Right. You children. Those are proud days. You know, but when there's life events that you always will remember, that is one of them. And and I'll tell you, what really drove it home for me was my dad was there and, and my family, my older brother, my Mikey, sister. Mikey, I'm just going to say, your your parents, and I knew your mom and dad and everything oh. and your brothers and sisters, but your mom and dad, they, they had to have been so proud of oh, you. I, I hope so. You know, we were, our, our parents and like a lot of kids of that generation, my folks are children of the depression. They were, they were born in right. the 1920s, came up in the thirties when, you know, people were really having a hard time. My dad was a world war two vet and he did not show emotion. And, uh, he would come to all my races and he would, uh, he would be there. And I've, I appreciated the fact that they came and supported me. They never really encouraged my running, but they never discouraged my running. If I wanted and that's to, important. Oh, if I wanted to run, they were saying fine. And they sent me to let me go to the camp. If I needed shoes, they always bought me some good running shoes. You know, they made sure I had what I needed, but not once did they ever say, geez, maybe you should get out and do your training today. You know, haven't you, <laughs> have you been running lately? They, Done. That's because you did it every day. They didn't have to tell you that. (laughs) If I didn't do it, they'd have been worried. But I guess the point I was going to get to is my father would always, you know, whenever, no matter what race, he would always say, yeah, you know, you did pretty good, but, you know, there's always that but, you know, and he he kind of kept me honest. You know, he never said, wow, you're the best or anything like that. And, but at the state meet, I crossed the finish line and they give you the medal right when you cross the finish line. And I had it in my hand. And the first person I went to after the finish was my dad. And I, I had, oh my god! I know, still, okay, you're gonna make me start crying here. Me and I handed him the medal, and he shook my hand. And you know that was the first time I, he shook my hand twice in my life. That day and the day I got married. Okay, I'm done. You're giving me shivers to like. I feel like I'm holding on to an electric fence right now. <laughs> well, Beards, that's why you know running is just such a unique thing, and and you don't have to win state championships. But you know when no. you set goals and you have people that you know are are rooting for you and supporting you and, and hoping you do well. And, uh, you know, my, my wife to this day says, you know, when I'm still competing, I'm still riding my bike, I'm still going out and doing goofy events and stuff. Absolutely. You are. Who who are you trying to, what are you trying to prove? Who are you trying to, you know? And she goes, you still want your dad's, you know, love and acceptance. And, And that could be part of this. You know, I wanted 
we all want that in our lives and we want it from the most significant people in our lives. You know, Beards, I think, you're, you know, our friendship, uh, you know, I've always appreciated your support and encouragement. And, and I think it goes both ways. And, you know, when you have people like that in your life that are, you know, you want to, you want to, I don't know if the word is please them, but you want to make them proud, you know, and, and you right. want to make yourself proud more than anybody. You know, that's the first person. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, high school, it's, it's a unique time. And I really feel for kids that go through it. And I was just fortunate that I found an endeavor that I enjoyed that, it, it, that people actually, you know, even though I was kind of the weird guy who, who ran all the time, people seemed to kind of like, uh, you know, they, they appreciated that, that I was putting that much right. work and time into it. And I remember I had a classmate one time and I came in from a, like a 10 mile run in high school. And he goes, what do you think you're, what, what do you think? Why do you run so much? He goes, what do you think it's ever going to get you? And I remember I kind of fumbled around and I kind of said, well, I hope maybe I'll get a scholarship someday, you know, and I was trying to come up with a rational reason. And now I realize I, you don't need to have a rational reason to go out and run and to, you know, do the things that make you happy. And, and no, and Mike, you know, we talked about coaches and, you know, adults that have influenced us and I'll never forget this. So, you know, I wasn't much of uh, playing sports, but I, I did try, you know, in Minnesota, just about every kid plays hockey or tries to play hockey, oh you know, God. and, and I was, <laughs> I tried to play hockey. I wasn't very good. And so uh, my football coach, coach Schaefer, he was the head hockey coach. Yeah, also. I coached everything. Oh, he did. He was a great guy. In fact, I, I believe he's still alive. He's got to be in the, oh. close to 90 now, but um, I'll never forget this. So it's get. I'm a senior in high school and uh, I have coach Schaefer in gym class. And he says, he comes up to me. It's right before hockey season's going to start. He goes, beards. He goes, now, you know, now that you're a senior, you can't play on the JV team anymore. He goes, you know, I see you out running every morning during study hall. He goes, maybe you ought to put a little more effort into your running. Mikey, I haven't had a pair of skates on since. Oh it was goodness. some of the best advice I'd ever gotten in my life. I was going to say, Dick, I could. you look like a hockey stick to me more than a right. hockey player. But, you know, going back to did you have any heroes, uh, running heroes? Or I know in Minnesota, you know, there had to be some sports. They, they've, taken, they've had some fantastic athletes, you know, Fran Tarkin and people like that. And, and you know, the, the baseball players, Rod Carew and you know, Herman Killebrew and all those guys. But yeah. Running. Did you have so a, running, a running so hero? Again, done. You know, I kind of was a latecomer to the sports. I didn't really follow running and road races were a dime. You know, they weren't popular. Yeah. Yeah. A ton of them like they are now, but the, the kind of my running hero to me was my, um, in high school, he was my best friend, George Ross. George was one year in front of me. His mom and dad were my godparents and, he had two younger brothers and three younger sisters. And, you know, they were like a big family. And George was a stud. Mm. I mean, seriously, the guy was, he, he was a stud. He made it to the state meet and got a full ride scholarship to Mankato State University. And I just always looked up to him. And, and he lived out, out in the country. And I can still remember. So he graduated in 74. And that summer, I'm getting ready for my, um, between my junior and senior year and he was getting ready to go to college so we ran pertner every day and we had this 10 mile loop on these country roads with hills and um i tell you what after three four miles you know it you know we'd be yapping and stuff and then it turned into like a gosh dang road race 
And um, I could never beat him, but I could, you know, I could stay pretty close to him. But I just always looked up to him and and he was supportive, encouraging, all that good stuff. Oh yeah, Yeah. he was encouraging his, and of course his his mom and dad really were inspirational and or uh, inspired me to keep running and whatnot. So yeah, that's probably my my high school running hero was my teammate who was a year ahead of me, George Ross. That's so cool. Well, how about you, Mike? Well, you know, let's think about this: nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy five. What American oh. pretty much dominated? Prefontaine, it's got to be. Prefontaine, you know, Pre was, he was a rebel without a cause. You know, he was, he was the James Dean of running. And, and the guy was just, he wasn't your atypical, he was your atypical runner. He wasn't a typical runner. The guy, you know, was aggressive. He was uh, uh, strong. He was, a, you know, he was a front runner. He, um, he wasn't afraid of anyone. You know, the typical runner is kind of an introvert who, kind of goes off by himself and you know and in a race yeah you run as fast as you can but if somebody you know elbows you in the ribs or something you kind of say excuse me i'm sorry i got in your way or something (laughs) you know we're kind of non-confrontational people okay because we have to be not him not him he was the opposite (laughs) of that and he just i almost said kick butt in a different way and you know he would try to stir it up he would you know in the 72 munich olympics that first year at the running camp the munich olympics were on and so we were watching that live on TV and Lassie Verin winning the five and the 10 K. And of course, Prefontaine was in the five K and uh, he ended up fourth and man, from that point on though, but the guy ran himself into the ground and done. And we were just that race. He, oh. that race he ran in 72 was one of the gutsiest performances I've ever seen any athlete do. I mean, he went for he, it. He did. And he went for it and uh, he just came up a little bit short from winning a medal, but boy, you got to give him kudos for doing what he did. You know, a lot of people forget he was 21 years old at that time. And so he was still coming into his own. And a lot of people wonder, and you know, the, the saddest day, one of the saddest days of my life, I never met Steve P. Fontaine, but he was a hero. You know, we all kind of emulated him. We all kind of wanted to be like pre. And um, right. I remember coming in for, from a, a run. It was in the, the spring of 75. So I just was finishing my track season that year. And, and if I remember the date right, I think it was May 25th. 1975 in the pre and they it was the day i graduated from high school yeah there was a track meet in eugene and and pre ran the 5k and frank shorter was there and they finished first and second and and i we didn't have the internet we didn't know any of these results till like a month later when track and field news would come out or something but it made the national news that night when when steepy fontaine was killed in a car accident and i i didn't know about it that night we didn't hear about it it probably got on the associated press the next day and I remember coming in, I'd been out doing chores or something, and my dad was in the house, and he, he, and I, he, you know, my dad, I knew something was up, and he goes, hey, Mike, he said that famous runner, and I said, and when he said that, I said, Prefontaine, he goes, yeah, he said, he, he died last night in a car wreck, and Dick, I kid you not, I sat down on the couch, I had to just sit, I don't know why, wow. you know, it kind of hit me, because it was like unreal, it's like there's no, at first I wanted to say no way, you know, that, that just couldn't have happened, yeah. you know, because he is such a, a dynamic, energetic individual. And and I remember I just sat there and I knew my dad, you know, I kind of, I probably appreciated at the time, but he knew how much we, I liked him, you know, and we had, you know, he was a hero. And, and sure. man, when you, yeah, when your hero, I hate to say falls or some, a tragedy like this occurs, you know, and my dad knew it was not going to be easy news to give me. And he, he did because I already found out eventually and I remember I had a, I had a race the next weekend. 
It was the state AAU. They used to have the state AAU track meet back in the day. And it was in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And Fran Hogerstrad, a good friend of mine who is a shot putter discus thrower, a, a gal named Mary Beekler, who was a hurdler, and um, Al Strottmeyer, who's one of my little tr- training partners, and I, the four of us got in a car and we drove all the way to Aberdeen. And I, I decided I'm only going to run the two mile. I usually did the two mile and the mile. And I thought I'm going to run the, the, just the two mile. And all I kept thinking about was how Prefontaine would run a two mile. And there was a guy from Canada named Bob Cook. And I met him and you know, runners, I introduced myself and, and he said, hi, yeah, my, my name is Bob Cook. And I said, he goes, you know, I've never run two miles before. We run 3,000 meters in Canada. They ran metric. And so was, and he sure. goes, it's a little different for me. And, you know, and, and as you know, two miles is like 200 meters longer than right. uh, 3,000 meters. So, you know, it's not a lot of difference. And I kind of thought, man, this guy sounds like he's pretty good. And so we took off. And I don't remember, you know, we went through the first mile in like 445 or something. But I remember with a half mile to go, I made the decision. I'm going to make the pre-move. And it's to go with two laps to go. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to wait. And, you know, and that's I'm, a I'm long gonna, way to go. Oh, it is. And I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Because when you make the commitment, you're going to go. It's from that point, you're, you're going to go as hard as you can to the finish. And I thought, well, pre would do nothing less. And I ended up, right. I remember I'm not, I remember my time was like 937, which was my best two mile Dang. ever up to that time. And I won the race. And, uh, you know, I, I just felt really good about, you know, pre would have been proud. You know, because he was looking down and clapping his hands. I hope so. But you know, at that time, that was important to me. And I thought, and I could have stayed around and we could have ran the mile later that night or something. And I thought, nope, I I did it. I ran my two mile as hard as I could. You did. You did it in honor of prey. I did. And so we're we're just going to let it go at that. Dick, I think we're going to get a little long here, you know, and and I I know it. And this has been awesome. You and I? Oh, I know. This never (laughs) happens. Um, Lucky that the uh, cell phones now don't charge you long distance rates. Or, or we'd be busted by now whenever we get right. start yapping with each other. You know, I think, uh, you know, this has kind of been good. We've kind of laid a little foundation about high school and then kind of leading up to, you know, now post high school. I know I was dreaming of going to South Dakota State University. I, you know, because I'd gone to that running camp and Jay Dirks, and I remember after the uh, state meet, wrote me a nice letter and stuff like that. And, and so I don't think there was a lot of doubt where I wanted to go. And I know then... I, I'm curious, and maybe we'll save this for our next podcast. What what got you to run in college then? And I don't know if you want to give us a little taste of that. Well, let's just say this, Don. I had no intentions of running beyond high school. Really? I really didn't. I, thought maybe, I, okay. I, I mean, I loved running, but I, I, I knew I wasn't good enough to probably compete. And so my uh, where I went to school... I was fortunate, and we'll talk about it maybe next podcast, but it, they just happened to have a cross-country running program and a, a track team and track running program and happened to have you know one of the greatest coaches I've ever had coach me, and we'll, we'll leave it at that well, for just, right now. Let me just kind of wrap this up, though. So you're telling me Dick Beardsley, Mr. 208 Marathoner, finished high school and really had no aspirations of running beyond that and you just happened to go to a school that just happened to have a cross-country program and you thought like well everything kind of fell into place i guess i could keep doing it that's exactly oh right gosh. all right I, all right well it's a good story it is and i hope you guys will come back and listen to the next episode you know and this has been fun for me i don't know about for dick but you know if anybody of course. out there you know, our goal is you know with all of this is if you leave tonight feeling a little inspired motivated hopefully a little bit entertained we've succeeded 
I know I'm feeling inspired, motivated, entertained by Dick. I always am. And so uh, I hope you guys are too. So we'll see everybody next time. And uh, thanks, Mikey. You, uh, you're an inspiration to me. You've been one of my best friends for almost 50 years. And uh, oh. I'm, I'm having a ball doing Let's this. Let's go another 50, bud. All right, pal. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, bud.